I want to speak tonight about devotion. Devotion. And the challenge of speaking about devotion is I think we live in a world that uses the word but doesn't have a clue what it means. We live in a world that wants sex without strings. We want to live in a world that wants intimacy without commitment. We live in a world where it's, it's navigating everything and it's what's in it for me and love without any cost. That's the world we live in. And so the problem is we start, we encounter Jesus and we say, what do we do with this love we encounter, this grace we receive? What do we do with it? How do we commit? What does that look like? Does it look like just more time in church? Does it look like just more uh, navigating things? Just scriptures, time and time in the scriptures. Middle lady the other day, I was with Candace, my wife, and um, who left this afternoon. She was with us this morning. She's still with us. She's just in Cape Town, just in case you're wondering. And, um, and uh, we, we were, meet this lady. She's been at church for like two months, and we invited people to come to our linked dinner, which is very much like your starting point moment. And I said, hey, you've been at church for two months, and why don't you take the next step into community? Take the next step into more in God for your life. And she looked at me and said, you know what? I'm just dating the church. And my wife knows me very well after 18 years of marriage. She just grabbed my hand. She just squeezed a little bit. When my wife squeezed my hand, it means your face. Control your face. Because I have a very honest face, which would normally go, what? But it's this narrative, this understanding that we, we're always dating. We're dating the church. We're dating Jesus. I'm just, I'm dating. Which, what does that mean? I date him on the weekends and I kind of have, a, we have an open relationship during the week. I'm not sure. We, we, it's my truth, his truth, our truth. Not quite sure. And all these things we're navigating. But the Bible calls us to something special, something spectacular, something called devotion. It's more than like a daily devotion, which we think is some kind of sometimes legalistic if I get up in the morning. and No, it's devotion. When I come before Jesus, I'm devoted because he's poured out his life for me. And there's this picture in the book of Acts that we grew up under in the, in the 90s and 2000 of, of Acts 2, the early church filled with the Spirit of God. And there's a description of what that church looks like. It's beautiful. There is life. There's incredible generosity. There are people serving each other. They're coming daily before the Word of God. They are praying together. There's miracles happening in their midst, and daily people are getting saved. Who wants to be in a church like that? I mean, that sounds exciting. I don't know about you, but that sounds like revival, and we could worship in a circus tent, and, and that, that was the church I joined, actually. We met in a circus tent in the middle of Gravel Racecourse in summer. We sweated like pigs. We got covered in dust. And then my only job at church in those days was getting the chairs back to Glenwood. Sunday night, welcome to church. Serve the Lord. But there's an incredible thing about that scripture that I think is profound because I love all that stuff. But it starts like this in Acts 2 verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves. Say Devoted. I want to tell you as a pastor, as a leader of a community, as someone who people call a leader in a space, my job is not to devote anyone. My job is not to demand anything of anyone. I live incredibly free of the decisions people make. My job is to preach Jesus. My job is to introduce people to Jesus, to his ways and to his word. My job is to make Jesus as bright and colorful and full of life and see his miracles happening. But it's your job to devote yourself. It's your job. It's not my job. It's not my job to demand a single thing of you. But when we devote ourselves, when the church devote themselves, they will see the miracles we all want to see. They'll see the generosity we all want to see. They'll see the crazy miracles in life, healing and salvation. I want to see in my life. 
And so I want to speak tonight about devotion in the dark. Are you with me? I preached something of the scripture at Easter Sunday and it gripped me as I was preparing for tonight. I want to call you to devotion because I'm looking across this room and there is life and there's opportunity and many people are young in years and I want to tell you there's something spectacular about devoting yourself to Jesus. This is not a punch for church ascendance or some kind of man. I want to call you to give your life to Jesus. You can trust him. Oh, you can trust him. But will you read with me from John chapter 20? It says this, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the brutal cloth that had been, the, sorry, I'm just going to put these back on. This is uh, helpful. It's not brutal. The burial cloth, burial cloth, that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated there where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and saw him and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. Five yet, not yet returned to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So I want to give you two just observations about Mary and then three things. See, I've got a guy I preach with in Cape Town. He tells me only like three points. So now I just add observations at the front. It's my new strategy. But I've got two observations. The first one and the most profound that I want to challenge you with. It says this early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. While it was still dark. An inconvenient time. This is a single lady who the other accounts and the other gospels present that these, a group of ladies went to the tomb while it was still dark. They put their life at risk. They presented danger. They approached a tomb that was not a popular place of a man who at the time had just been crucified. While it was still dark, they went to that tomb. The other day, while um, an Eskimo official was playing with our lights, the lights went off, and my little eight-year-old turned to me and said, Dad, these are dark days. <laughs> He's quite a poet, quite a deep little guy. But actually, it's a statement I've heard a lot lately. I've heard it a lot lately. I've seen it a lot. And that's out of the room this morning, a lady came who two years ago, a great friend of mine, a great friend of ours, passed away. A young man. On Wednesday, I fly back and I do the funeral of a lady who served for 16 years in our life, kids. 
On Tuesday, she got a diagnosis. I saw her on Wednesday. On Thursday night, she passed. I don't understand these things all, all of them. I just know when I sat next to that bed and she looked at me, she said, Mark and Candace, come close. She said, I have such peace. I have such peace. Going, Thank you, Jesus. See, this lady, Mary, she was devoted. She wasn't scared about the dark. She wasn't scared about the inconvenient time. Uh, why? Because in Luke chapter 8, it says this. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons have come out. See, she wasn't struggling to be devoted because she'd been set free by this king. She'd encountered Jesus. I don't need to devote anyone who has encountered Jesus. I just need to keep presenting Jesus. I just need to keep worshiping Jesus. I just need to keep inviting his presence into rooms and boardrooms and classrooms. So that evil spirits leave beautiful ladies who then find themselves devoted to the king. See, it wasn't convenient for her. It's not always convenient to serve Jesus. It's not always convenient when you're out in a group and, and, and there are things going on in that group and you've got to go, it's not convenient to me, a Jesus disciple right now. I'm telling you, not always going to be popular as a disciple of Jesus. It's not a popularity contest. If that's what you're trying to win, this isn't the game. And it's not always going to feel convenient. We don't always want to get up for things in His presence. We don't always want to find ourselves. But when we encounter Jesus, we encounter a thing this world struggles, which is devotion. For five years, my wife struggled and fought chronic back pain. She couldn't pick up her son for three years. My little guy, she didn't pick him up for three years. From, from a really small little guy. And yet every time, we would go call to lead God's people. And every time, he demanded of something. He asked something of us. I watched my wife find courage in the presence of God. She's a leader to me. In my life, she's been a leader who has demonstrated devotion, who has shown me what it means to be a devoted disciple of Jesus. Because you know what? When the sky is high, the sun's high, and the sky is beautiful, and the, the, it's easy to be out and devoted. Look at me. But when it's dark, and the days are dark and challenging, like these days are challenging, and Durban, my prayers and my heart have been with this city, as we flew over yesterday, I realized this city has seen a lot. I was here last year in July during the looting. I love this city. But Jesus is looking for a devotion in the dark. It sets apart. Secondly, just about devotion, I want to tell you, devotion kills apathy. And there's nothing that kills the life of God in someone's life and the story greater than apathy. It says this, so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Let me just stop there because it's quite important. Richard told something of the story at church. I just want to put up a picture. It might help you understand what's going on here. So it says, John's writing the book, and he says, so Peter and the other disciple. The other disciple is John. The amazing thing about John, he's humble enough not to tell you his name. He's just not humble enough not to be competitive and tell you he won the race. Because it says they got there, finally the other disciple who reached the tomb first. So I just, Richie's told you a story about the athlete that he is. This is us going up a hill on the Cape Argus. That is my hand on his back pushing him up. And uh, I'm not doing this for any glory for myself. I'm just trying to be like John. I'm just trying to say the other disciple pushed him up the hill. 
I don't know who that guy behind him is, but it's the other disciple. Not really important. Anyway, let's get back to the Bible. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. See, this is what plays out. They, she goes and gets them. She brings them back. They look in the tomb. See, I think a whole bunch of Christians sometimes go to church just to look in the tomb and make sure it's still empty. I think Christians are doing life just checking the tomb. Oh, it's still empty. I'm good. And you know what? These disciples, they had seen Jesus do miracles. They'd seen amazing things. These same disciples just go home. How can they go home? I would imagine Mary standing there going, what's going on? But the devoted disciple, the one who came out in the dark, she stays. She stays. See, apathy makes us go home. And until these men encounter the Spirit of God, that they're living with an apathetic story. And yet, what happens plays out in Gethsemane just a few chapters before, just a few days and weeks before, as they never get the story. They, Jesus says, guys, come with me. And he knows what's coming. He's going, come with me. Come close to me. And he says, I need you to pray. This is going down. And they get there. And what do they do? <sighs> Fall asleep. Jesus said, wake up, boys. See, when we don't understand the urgency of the hour, we let apathy overtake our actions and we miss God and we miss and we allow devotion to sit in the back as apathy overrides our story. It kills the God story in lives. But this lady wouldn't let it. This lady, she didn't go home. She didn't go home. She says this, Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Carries on, as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked a woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Point number one. Devotion leads to healing. She stays. See, they leave. She stays. And she brings her pain and her anguish, and she stays there with her pain and her anguish, and she's crying, but she stayed. We tell a lie, well, I don't. Maybe I did once. But there's a lie that gets told at almost every funeral I go to, and it's like this. Time heals. Time will heal your pain. Time will heal your brokenness. Time can heal nothing of pain and brokenness of the soul. A healer heals. You've got to come to a healer. You've got to stay at a healer. The healer heals. The healer heals. And she stays. It's amazing. Jesus comes back in his first words after his resurrection that are accounted in the book of John. The first words he says. I don't know about you, but my first words would have been, where are those disciples? Bring me that Judas cat now. That would have been the first thing I said. I'm like, bring those boys to me. I need to teach them a lesson. Or what about that, that, that pilot guy? Or what about the Romans? Get them. Bring me some good clothes. Jesus says none of those things. He just says, woman, why are you crying? See, God sees. We live in a world where to be canceled can happen like this. And I preach a gospel every Sunday where I know people in the room 
Life circumstances have canceled their stories. And the title and the head title of their life hanging over their head is canceled. Canceled by divorce, canceled by failure, canceled by liquidation, canceled by broken promises, canceled by failures, canceled, canceled, canceled. Last year, I felt a little canceled. As I found myself after a couple of months of navigating a trauma, traumatic season with my boy, the preacher in front of you found himself going to a psychiatric hospital for three weeks because my boy had a mental health break. My son, who I love, was very precious to me, navigated a couple months of pain, and we watched it unfold, and it resulted in three weeks at a psychiatric hospital, and I went with him. And I've never felt so low in all my life. You know what I didn't need in that moment? I didn't need the God with eyes like blazing fire. I didn't need Jesus, the warrior king. I needed the one who when I came to him, I knew he was the healer. Who asked the questions that got deep in my soul. Son, why are you crying? And every morning as my boy would go off for treatment and they were doing all sorts of tests and MRIs of his body and his mind and all sorts of things. At eight o'clock he would leave and I would walk up the hill to the back of this land and there was a little bench and I would cry out to God. Like I've never cried out to God. Because sometimes I've been too proud and maybe just not desperate enough. And I'd cry out to God in the middle of my pain. You know what I needed to hear? I needed to hear the healer. I needed to know that there's a God in heaven who is greater, greater than a mental health disorder. That although the word canceled was coming upon my son and his future and every fear inside of me wanted to rise up, that there was a God who if I came to him and if I remained and if I was devoted and if I stayed, he would say, son, why are you crying? Why are you crying? And I love this. It says, thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried me away. She looks. She doesn't recognize him in her pain in her brokenness. See, she knew him, but her pain and her brokenness had overwhelmed her. And maybe your pain and your brokenness has overwhelmed you right now. Maybe you're young here and you're saying, I'm plotting a future. Can I trust God? I'm not going to ask you to, can you trust economics? I'm not going to ask you, can you trust politicians? I'm not going to ask you, can you trust leaders? I'm asking you, can you trust God? Will you trust the Almighty who was there at the beginning? He'll be at the end. He is seated on his throne. He is not moved by economics that go up and down. He took a people out of Egypt and into a desert because in a desert he could rip Egypt out of their hearts. And whatever the journey is God's got us on and whatever the challenges we'll never get, I'm telling you, sometimes God's got to take us out of an economy where we learn to survive so he can take us in a desert so we can learn to be sons and daughters who receive. He wants to rip us, rip it out of us. I realized God's been ripping stuff out of me. I said it earlier, I'm a mountain man. But God said, I want to teach you how to love a broken bride. It's not my strength. I married a fit ballet dancer who then became unwell. Would spend weeks at home. I'm not asking you to feel sorry for me. I'm sharing my story. God has done amazing things. And I've learned to love. We're going to learn to love. But you know how you're going to learn to love? Devote yourself. 
devote yourself to Jesus. Secondly, I want to tell you, devotion leads to identity. It says, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni. She, her eyes opened. Why? Because he speaks identity over her. In one word, he speaks the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. Ever. Mary. He could have called her many things. He could have said, woman. Because he did earlier, but now he's identifying. He's speaking. He says, he doesn't say woman. See, every day in the homes of, of the Jewish men and women of that time, the Jewish men would pray this prayer every day. Thank you, God, that I'm not a Gentile, a, sla- a woman, or a slave. Every day. So being a woman in that time was negative. It, it had, it, it, you had lack of standing. You couldn't testify in a court case. You were seen as an unreliable witness. Sorry, ladies. Some of you are like, I'm out. Canceled. Just telling you. Jesus doesn't call her woman. Jesus doesn't call her demoniac. He could have. She was the lady. He took seven demons and sent them out. So her story had this label upon it that might have been canceled in today's world, but Jesus doesn't cancel anything. Jesus doesn't call her demoniac. Jesus doesn't call her single unmarried lady. As she would have been older in age, she was successful. She was traveling. A group of ladies who traveled with Jesus, they made provision. They, they looked after them. And he doesn't go, well, you've been disqualified by the fact that you didn't get married young like all the other ladies. No, he speaks a word of identity to her very soul. With the intonation of his voice, he speaks gently, Mary, Mary. See, Jesus didn't reveal himself to Mary by telling her who he was. Well, like God, he told her who she was to him. He spoke her name. It's in her mother's womb. Rory spoke last night at Mark's 50th at a man of 50 years old and said it in your mother's womb. God knew what he was doing. God doesn't make mistakes. In one word, he preaches. See, it's not a worldly status of followed or unfollowed or liked or unliked or popular or unpopular or poor or rich or or canceled or not canceled. It's not about your spiritual search history. What if your search history popped up? You know, like those animations that we all just sat there and we had to trick a church. She's like, boop, and all our search histories popped up. Who's keen? All our failure history, boop. All the promises we, we broke. To God. Let's start with that one. My list would be through the roof. <laughs> Welcome to the club. He just speaks Mary. Devotion leads to identity. You want identity? You're wrestling identity. Richard prayed about identity. Devote yourself to Jesus. Lastly, in this devotion leads to mission. See, he doesn't just leave her there healed and with a journey and on a journey of healing he doesn't just leave her there with identity he says i've called you i'm loving you but as you devote yourself i'm sending you he says jesus said to her, do not hold on to me for i have not yet returned to the father go instead to my brothers and tell them i am returning to my father and to your father to my god and your god see she reaches out to touch me she wants to hold on to him and we see that in church a lot we encounter jesus we just we just want to be around our Jesus. If we can just be around Jesus, we don't want to go anywhere else. And I see it in the church all the time. If we just, a comfortable group of Christians where no one swears. So no. Where no one has bad thoughts. We just, just lovely Christians. Hanging out together. 
Jesus says, do not hold on to me. She's like, oh? He says, go and tell. He gives his testimony to a woman who in the courts of the day would not have had the right to testify to anything. He gives his testimony to a woman. He says, go and tell my brothers. Let's just think about that for a second. Who were my brothers? They were the betrayers. They were the guys who ran away from the cross. You see, when Mary stayed at the cross, they ran. And there's Peter, the rock. She stayed. He says, you Mary, let my voice heal you. Let me put identity over you. Now go and tell. See, devotion looks like going and telling. Devotion looks like sharing Jesus and his love. And in 2022, we've got to get an understanding that Jesus is shouting from the tomb. And it's not your pastor demanding it. And it's not even the Bible demanding. It's the response of receiving the love and the grace and the healing of Jesus Christ. I devote myself to you. And it's going to look like big decisions. Big decisions. I've seen that man make big decisions for God. And I'm not celebrating because they're pastors. I've just seen the decisions because we've journeyed. This guy was my head boy. This guy's got a serious degree. And in that head, I mean, there were one or two kicks with a rugby boot, but I mean, uh, is a serious brain and serious gifting that could have had serious impact. And yet there have been decisions. This is a very clever lady. Mechatronic engineer. And yet decisions to devote. Not celebrating because they're pastors. I'm just hearing their story. And there's a cost to devotion. So let me not lie to you tonight. There's a cost to devotion. It's going to cost you. But the prize is Jesus. The prize is his voice. The prize is his life. The prize is the fact that he shouts to your search history. He shouts to your pain. He shouts to your failures, to your brokenness, and to your most low moment when you're in the valley. He says, now I'm going to be your shepherd. I'm going to lead you. Can I invite you to stand if Bunty maybe can come up? But I want to just take us to that scripture again that I love so much. He encounters Jesus. But she doesn't recognize him for whatever reason. Her pain, her perspective. And says, the Bible's so honest, it says, she thought he was the gardener. I don't like gardening. Confession. I'm just like a bit of a clean hands guy. The whole sanitizing thing, it works for me. Honestly, I'm like, I'm good with it. And yet she looks in this moment of despair. This moment of confusion where everyone's confused. The moment where the, she stays but the disciples have gone and she sees Jesus. And it's not his royal robe that catches her. It's not her, his crown. She sees Jesus and she thinks he's the gardener. Why? Because he looks like someone who's not scared of mess. Because he looks like someone who's not scared to get his hands dirty. See, many years ago on a Monday morning, 
I got a desperate phone call. It went like this. Please come. And I was tired, and I'd preached on the Saturday, and I phoned my friend Mark Nauman. Remember? And I said, Nams, it's Monday. It's our day off, but I got a call, and I don't know. There's something about this call. So we went into a home in Morningside, a fancy house. And this was the situation. A family lived in a fancy home that they couldn't afford. So the husband went off to work daily, and his wife prostituted herself to pay for their fancy lifestyle. While their nine-month-old daughter lived upstairs, and we arrived to the home, and there was a pimp in the house, another prostitute out of her mind, and this lady who'd made the call. And we got that man out the house, and the other lady left, and we started a journey with this couple. An absolute poop of a husband who knew nothing about what it was to love. A wife who didn't know anything else to do. And we started a journey. And yes, it was messy. But there was a little girl who was nine months old, who's now 15. And I said, God, I actually don't want to be in this room right now. I didn't like the meetings where rings were thrown across my office. I didn't like the meetings where swearing happened. I didn't like the details. I didn't like the SIM card that got given to me with the names of every client. I wanted to get angry. But Jesus revealed himself as a gardener. He said, I'm not scared of your mess. I'm not scared of your mess. I'm not scared to get my hands dirty in the mess of your life. I've never been afraid to jump right in. I love this quote. There is not a square inch of all humanity over which Christ does not shout, Mine! Mine! He's not like the classic lighty schoolboy rugby player, yours. You know that? Yours. No, this is Jesus. Your pain, your brokenness, what you did last night, what you thought last night, mine. Your story that you think has no future and the world shouting canceled, Jesus goes, mine. And he starts to get his hands dirty in our life. It's called grace. Oh, it's beautiful. It's still messy, but it's beautiful. And life starts to come. Real life. Life where there was death and only death. This is the fruit of devotion. This wasn't a clever strategy to get you to church more. This is just devotion. It's what happens when Jesus brings life. Thank you, Jesus. Can we just say that together? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for life, God, in this place. Just can we close our eyes just for a second? I want to pray. You're saying here tonight, you're saying, I, I don't know if I've had those gardener's hands touch my life. I don't know, but I want it. I'm scared, but I want it. I don't know what will happen, and I'm not sure where it will lead, but I need the gardener, the glorious gardener. I need his hands of healing and life and identity to touch my life. I want to pray with you right now. Saying those, I've never invited Jesus into my story. I need that, Mark.
Will you raise your hands with me right now? And I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you as life comes. There we go. There's more. Raise your hands. You're saying, I need the life of God to touch my story. Amazing. Thank you, God. Today, your grace pours out in abundance. What was canceled now comes to life. What was broken is restored. What was stained by sin and deception and everything else, I declare, is life and clean and new in your grace and your abundance tonight, God. Today, you are new. Today. 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 I want to speak to those tonight. You're saying, I love Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I want to call devotion and I want to strip apathy out tonight. Will you fight apathy with me? See, I can't fight your apathy. I can only fight mine. I can only deal with my apathy. But will you fight yours? You know how you do that? Devote yourself to Jesus. Just devote yourself to Jesus.